You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Good day once again, everybody. We thank you for hopping on board the latest edition of Gun on One, the podcast. It is powered by the Patterson Square Garden. I'm Derek Gunn. Well, we we knew it was going to be ugly, um, especially without Joel Embiid in the mix. We kind of hoped for a better scenario. I mean, one can hope, can't we? We hoped for a better scenario, and such was not the case. And so here we sit, 76ers down, Two games to none, and the future, well, it doesn't look much brighter. So for this edition of Gun on One, I'm bringing in somebody who covers the team on a daily basis. I love his work. Uh, he is a senior staff writer for the Philly Voice, Kyle Newbick. Hey, man, uh, I know I got you just hot off a plane from Miami. <laughs> uh, I appreciate, appreciate you coming on, but as you heard me just say, did, did you think it would look as bad as it has looked for the first two games? Sort of, because, you know, I I do think that Joel Embiid has been, if he wasn't the best player in the league all year, he was right in that mix for MVP and top three, top five guys on a night-to-night basis in the league. And you take that sort of player out of the mix and things get really, really complicated for any team. Like, I think I've been, I've been telling some of my friends this the last couple of days. Like, if you look at Phoenix, a, a different team, and they're round one series, they lose Devin Booker. They still have a Hall of Fame player in Chris Paul. They got DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges, who a lot of people would like the Sixers to have after they initially drafted him. And that team still got pushed to six games by a Pelicans team that's filled with guys that had never been in the playoffs before, basically. So then you put this version of the Sixers with, look, James Harden, still a very good player. He's not the the all-time great elite level guy that he was just a few years ago. 
and it's him and Tyrese Maxey in his second year and Tobias Harris, who I think has had a really good playoff run so far. But you're you're putting them without their number one guy against the Heat team that has one of the best defenses in the league. They're all they're big, they're athletic, they're tough. They're not the sort of team you want to play in the playoffs, and they're losing. And you know, I I don't think I would say. I think Sixers fans are probably a little too negative in general for where the series is at. I think sometimes it just comes down to guys miss shots. Like they created a lot of open threes. I think Danny Green, George Niang, you give them those same looks in a different game. They might go, you know, five for nine instead of one for nine or three for seven instead of over oh seven. And so like, there are definitely ways where you can tell that the roster is hurting them with rebounding issues and so on and so forth. The whole center snafu with Doc uh, playing DeAndre Jordan, and not many people are happy with that. <laughs> um, but I like I I think in general this is this is probably where they deserve to be. They're not as good of a team as the heat without Joel, if they get Joel back, then, you know, then things might change. And I think they've been good enough without him that you put him back in there. I don't think this is a, a lost series. This is not a lost okay. cause yet. Do you think if he had played in one of the, or both of the first two games, even with the finger and thumb issue and the fractured orbital bone, if he could have played that the series would be split right now, because I've said on a number of platforms, I thought they could have won that first game. If had if Embiid had played in that game, I I absolutely think they could have. Now whether okay. they would have, that's that's going to depend on again the shot making and yep. a bunch of other factors. But I think one thing you're seeing them do is the Heat because they have Bam Adebayo at center. He's a very capable defender on switches, and so they're they've been comfortable saying, "Hey Bam, you can switch on a Tyrese Maxey if we run a one five pick and roll and we'll just stick whoever is supposed to be quote unquote supposed to be guarding Tyrese onto DeAndre Jordan. And he's just going to have to stand there because DeAndre at this point, all he can do is just jump up and dunk the ball on a lob. And you know, that's fine. It's not really supposed to do anything else, mm -hmm. but that means they can stick a guy who's maybe six, 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 seven, not that great of a defender on him. And then Tyrese has to try to attack one of the most versatile defenders in the league and not a bio. So if you have Joel Embiid in the game instead of DeAndre Jordan and Miami switches that action, all of a sudden it's Joel Embiid against, you know, Max Struess or somebody like that. And that's just, then that tilts way in Philadelphia's favor. And even if they send a double or, or what have you, then they're getting all kinds of other shots and guys are making cuts and things off of that. And so I think that that considerably changes the offense. And then that's before we get to the defensive side of the ball where they need him as a rebounder. They need him as a rim protector. They need him mm -hmm. as a guy who can hold up on switches. Like he, he very clearly would make a massive difference in this series. And I think you could definitely make the case they could have split just by having him out there. Let's dig into James Harden just a little bit because the majority of the fan base right now want to run James Harden out of town. <laughs> He's not been the scorer they expected him to be. He can't even drive to the paint effectively the way he used to be. Is the hamstring that's not being talked about still an issue or is James Harden just, just lost a step at this stage in your estimation? 
So he keeps saying, no, it's not an issue. I'm ready to go. Whenever that has come up over the last, let's call it a month or so. I think it's very clear that he has lost the step. I think the important thing long-term is whether that actually is a long-term, just permanent thing, or it's a matter of, so we saw this with Chris Paul at one point, a few years back, a very similar hamstring injury. He was on a huge contract and people were saying, this is one of the worst contracts in the league. Now Chris Paul can't get by anybody, so on and so forth. And after some time to recover, get his body right, it it took him probably 15, 16 months, Mm -hmm. but he got closer to the guy that I think people are seeing now, or even in his late thirties, Chris Paul is a high level player on one of the best teams in the league, the best regular season team in the league this season. So I think if you're the Sixers, the Sixers fans, whoever, I, I think you have to hope that that's the case for James because you know, he can still, and I think you still can see he's a productive player who brings a lot of value to the team in the state that he's in. But there's a difference between being, you know, a valuable piece on the team and a guy who can carry the Sixers when Joel Embiid is off the floor, whether that's he's injured, whether that's he's just on the bench to get his rest during a game. And that's who they acquired him to be. Like they acquired James Harden under the pretext that. He's a star level player, a star level talent. And I think we've seen more of James as just that he's a very good player, but he's not approaching greatness. And so I think the my what Miami has done is that they've made him into just a point guard rather this rather than this, you know, multifaceted scorer, 30 point per game guy. And if that's who they have moving forward, I think that's a very good player, but I don't think that's a richest contract in NBA history type player, which is going to be the decision they have to make this summer. What he has been lacking in terms of point production, I've thought he's tried to make up for in terms of being a facilitator, Um, because obviously Miami is collapsing on him. Every time he puts the ball on the floor and tries to make a move, they're collapsing on him. But he has set up a number of people for open shots, Thibel, Green, all of them. And man, right now they can't hit the ocean. And I think the only way they're going to stay in this series, obviously getting him beat back is a big plus, but the only way they're going to be able to stay in this series against Miami is if they start hitting those perimeter shots. If they don't, they're done, plain and simple. I I 100% agree with you because when Miami can play a defense where they're throwing two and three guys at him Mm -hmm. when he's on the ball, I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, it's James Harden's fault that he can't teleport through three guys and score. But that's just not a realistic expectation it'd be like expecting a quarterback who's getting hounded by defensive linemen two seconds into a play to put up great numbers as like that's just not you don't expect things like that to happen so these guys have to punish Miami for putting all the pressure on James and once they start making shots then the calculus changes then James is going to get more of these one-on-one matchups and then if he can't score at that point if he's not getting by guys when he gets know more of these favorable matchups and I guess like types of floor spacing then we can sit here and say look James isn't living up to his end of the bargain but I just think it's so hard right now to pin this all on him when Mm -hmm. Miami's not even giving him a chance to really put himself out there as a scorer and I so I the shooters got to make shots I know that's like caveman basketball analysis and it's a very simplistic way of looking at it but Sometimes the simplest answer is the right one. 
How surprised are you the team has been so lethargic from beyond the arc? They shot 17.5% from three the first game and under 27% the second game. I, I'm a little surprised just because of the guys who it's been that are missing yep. all these. I think Danny Green is a guy, you know, he's hot and cold like any other role player, but he's yep. the guy that has the most championship level experience of any guy on this roster. It was one reason that I thought it was a, a really big deal for them that he finally got his legs under him at the end of the season. It's the reason that Doc put him in the starting lineup on top mm-hmm. of the, the all the concerns with Matisse Thibault. It was Look, Danny is a guy who's been through the wars. He's somebody that he's a credible defender. He's a, a very good shooter that teams are not going to leave him alone. Well, now they're at the point where he's being left alone and he's got to make some of these shots. And then George Niang, he's the one that's a real problem. Because I oh, think, my goodness. I, I think the, with Danny, you can see like, okay, he's he's missing shots, but he at least looks like if those shots go down, he can be a, a threat in this series. Niang, even if he's making shots, he is drawing dead defensively in a way that is so bad that he almost has to shoot like 50% from three or better the rest of the way to even justify playing him. And I don't think it's all like I've had my concerns about him as a a playoff defender coming into the playoffs. But you can tell he's even he's had a knee issue that he was dealing with at the end of the season. I think he's probably two or three steps slower than he was even during the regular season. And I, he's not a guy that can give back athleticism and survive against, you know, Jimmy Butler on an Island or like Tyler hero guys like that. He just has, he has no chance to stay in front of guys. So, you know, he's really got to get going because unfortunately they don't have better options. Like they don't have the deep bench that Miami does. Miami has Duncan Robinson. They can, $90 $90 million. And he's not even playing in this. No, series. That's how, no. that's how good their, their development process is. Their talent identification is it's, you can see the the gap between the two teams on that front for sure. You know, uh, when we've looked at the NBA playoffs this year in general, I mean, the refs have been letting these guys play, man. It's been more physical. They're not calling all the ticky tack files. And as we know, when you can, when you achieve a certain status in the NBA, you do get certain calls that other players yes. don't get. Now, even though James Harden has not been the prolific scorer we had hoped he would be, he still has that name in the NBA. Are you surprised that when he his one of his signature moves, as you know, is to drive the paint and go through the theatrics and draw the foul? Have you been surprised <laughs> he's not getting that call now? Yeah, you know, I wonder if it's a product of for so many years he put pressure on these officials to make those calls <laughs> where they are borderline calls a lot of the time. And, you know, when he's at his apex and – you're going to get when you're the star rather than, you know, just another, I don't want to say he's just another guy, but he's you know not at that tippy top of the league. You're not going to get the benefit of the doubt on some of these. And the NBA also has cracked down on some of the, the plays that they just don't, they're no cause now rather than offensive or defensive. And I think that's impacted them too. But to your point about how they're calling it in the playoffs, yeah, that's another big reason that Joel Embiid makes a difference because he is the guy who puts the pressure on the officials and, you know, he's working them even bet- like during timeouts, he's going over and he's having conversations with guys. Like I saw, I got slapped on the arm on this play. Yeah. This happened on that play. If a he gets called for foul or one of his teammates do, he'll go over and be like, I want that same call next time down. Like he, he understands 
that's all part uh, of being a star and carrying a team is sometimes you have to slow the game down, junk it up, get to the free throw line. I actually thought, speaking of, that Tyrese Maxey, he's done a very good job of that. He's not, he has not, his first two years been a, a prolific free throw shooter. He's an accurate free throw shooter, but he's finding ways to put himself on the line. And it's something that they need because they have to catch their breath. They're not as deep of a team, give themselves some natural rest in these games and, you know, play with a set defense against Miami. Mm -hmm. That's a a huge key to this series. If we can somehow find a way to get um, Embiid back in there, that's going to open up a lot of things. And you brought up Max's name, you know, you're 34 in game two. I don't think Miami has a defender one-on-one that can stay with this kid. I mean, if you if you have Joel back in the paint and, and Maxie doing what he does, you know, I think that's going to put a lot of pressure on Miami. I have I have been so impressed with what Maxie's been able to do in such a short amount of time in the NBA. I, I just think he's such a resilient kid. I, I yeah. think the start of game two, and he admitted it himself post-game down in Miami. He said, look, I wasn't aggressive enough and they baited me into taking some shots that I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I need to avoid these, you know, off balance, tough mid-range shots. And once he that clicked in his head, he, I mean, he was just off to the races in that game and he didn't settle for the junk shots that he was missing. He's getting all the way to the rim. I know one thing that uh, Doc Rivers and uh, assistant coach Sam Cassell have stressed to him is they want his hand to hit the backboard. They want him getting deep. And, and so whether that's he's getting fouled, whether that's he's dunking or laying it up, they want him up so his hand is touching the glass, essentially. So I think you saw a lot more of that in the second mm-hmm. half. And with him, he's so fast that, that you're right. Like there's nobody really that can stay in front of him mm-hmm. if he puts his mind to it and just uses his footwork to set up as soon as he catches that ball, it's gotta be instant. Like I'm just, I'm going by this guy and there's nothing they can do about it. And so he's gotta be a pivotal part of their game plan. If they're going to try to make this comeback from down to up. As lightning fast as he is when he makes his move to the basket, I'm just impressed with this soft touch off the glass. I don't care from what angle he drives into paint. Man, he has one of the better soft touches I've seen in the NBA in recent years in terms of using a window to score points. Is that something, is that just part of his overall game, or did he learn that since he's been at this level? So I, I think it's always been part of his game to some extent. I think actually, so that circles back to the getting his hand to the glass. I yeah. know that during his rookie year, the coaching staff was actually a little upset that he was settling for what they felt was too many floaters and runners. But the flip side of that is that he's a very good floater and runner shooter. Like that's mm-hmm. something that he he has said back in, when he was in high school. He knew like, hey, look, I'm a, a smaller guard. And it, it, if I'm going to play at a big time college program and then play a, at the NBA level, that's something that I'm going to have to live on. And, and so he perfected that. And I think you see that as he you know, makes the step from the intermediate shot to around the rim. You see that touch and that work he's put in, that all translates all the same. So it comes down now to Joel Embiid. And everybody before the series, when we found out he had the injury to his face, hey, he could be back for games three and four. What Doc Rivers said after the game, game two was, hey, he's got so many hurdles to clear. 
Yeah. I don't think he's cleared any of them. That doesn't seem really optimistic for Joel Embiid to returning for game three. Yeah, it's so it, you know, between the concussion protocol that he's got to yeah. get through, the the fact that he actually has not gotten out of the concussion protocol, I think is the concerning thing because it was initially said he's got a mild concussion, but you know how that goes, like a, a concussion, even a mild concussion could linger and you never know when you're out of the woods on that. And then on top of that, we obviously have to see if he's going to actually get cleared yeah. for the, the orbital fracture, because I, and I've tried to, a friend of mine made a great point. He said to me, you know, if I'm Joel, the easy thing to think about is look, I, I'm going to play through pain and what I want to be there for the team and all that stuff. And I would say there's probably even part of them that'll say if there's potential career ramifications from a, a complication or whatever, maybe he says, I, I am okay living with that. I'll take the risk. But then you zoom out and say, this is not a guy playing with, you know, a banged up knee or the, the messed up hand that he's got. This is something that if they don't clear him or it's borderline, and he gets hit wrong, his eye could be messed up for like the rest of his life. He, he could have a an eye issue mm-hmm. with this, where this, this is not the same, same as how look, look. he's playing on a gimpy ankle. And if he if he hurts it worse, he'll rehab and do whatever, and you know he'll end up being fine afterward. This is you don't mess around with somebody's vision and their ability right. to see. And so you know you obviously hope for Joel's sake and the team's sake that he's able to get cleared. If he can't, it's, it's not whether Joel's tough enough. It's not whether he wants to enough. It's because it would be too much of a risk to put him out there. So we're going to see. Now, we all know coaches can be coy with you. They don't like to give away, you know, every every bit of inside information. You, know, you look at Miami, they have seven players who are considered injured, and all of a sudden six of them are back on the court <laughs> for the next game. Do you think Doc is being totally honest with us about it, Joel, or is it maybe there's a little coyness about it? I think there's definitely some gamesmanship there, but I do, I do think like, I I think they're being honest and that they probably don't know for sure at this point, exactly what state that Joel is in. And I think part of the problem too, doc mentioned this uh, after game two as well said, look in the regular season, this is easy. We say we can ramp him up for three or four days. He doesn't have, he can do some minimal contact or non-contact drills. We scale them up to team activities. He works with our staffers, but in the playoffs, and especially in this series, right. they're every other day. There, there are no there are no big practice days or these long runways up to there's no all-star break. There's no you know Christmas period where they get some time off. This is just you got to be ready tomorrow or your team has to play without you. And so that, you know, that's the nature of the beast, but it's not helping them right now. You know, when you also listen to uh, one of Doc Rivers comments from the game after the, after game two, he said, we don't have a center right now. <laughs> and when, when you think about it, you know, don't you keep that stuff in house in, in all the years I've covered sports, you know, you don't, there's certain things you don't share to the general consensus. And even though it's obvious on the outside looking in, they don't have a center right now. You yeah. think it was in his best interest to tell us all that publicly? Maybe not. But I, I do think that there's just, look, they're playing DeAndre Jordan, who for the last two teams he played for, <laughs> flamed out in spectacular fashion. Like He was bad on a Lakers team that was very, was very disappointing this year. So for yeah. him to be bad enough, 
that that team was like, hey, you can go uh, move on to wherever you want to. That kind of says it all. And then, like, I, I think Paul Reed, given his level of experience and, and all the other concerns, has done well enough for himself. But he is a young guy yeah. at a position where experience really matters. Like, even the best – like Joel Embiid, even the best bigs come into the league and they're fouling everybody. They're jumping all over the place. They don't know where to be. Like, it's it's a hard position to play, especially defensively at this level. So – they, I, I think Doc is just being realistic more than anything else. Like it, it, he knows what he has. He knows what they don't have and who's waiting yeah. in the in the wings if they can get him back. And I, I, I can't really fault him too much for that. A term I like to use a lot is you can't go to a gunfight with a cap gun. And, <laughs> and right now, right now, the Sixers are in a gunfight without Joel Embiid. If he doesn't play, based on what we've seen for the first two games, is there any way the Sixers win a game in this series? Yeah, I think they can definitely win at least a game. I I, I picked Miami in five once okay. the uh, once the series or once Joel's injury became clear because of yeah. the, I, I just didn't feel confident that even if they get him back, the a best case scenario, he's a, it's a compromised version of Joel between the mm. hand. He's going to have to wear the mask. His vision's going to be off because of that and, you know, all the complications. I do think just from making shots, as we were talking about earlier, I do think they can win a game at home where they just make a lot of threes. James Harden has 16 assists or something ridiculous, Mm -hmm. and they get a win. But I I don't think that without Joel, I, I just they can't consistently put wins together with this group, not against a good team that they could do it. In the regular season, if Joel had to miss a few weeks and they had this exact same group, yeah. I do think they have the pieces at, that they could go and beat a bunch of you know decent teams, especially teams that are just trying to get through an 82-game schedule. But when you have one opponent and it's a good opponent and they know all your tendencies, all your strengths, all your weaknesses, and they're going to try to exploit all of those, I, I just think they, they don't have enough right now. You know, before the playoffs started, I, I heard on so many platforms, whether it's the written word, sports talk radio, sports talk TV, that if Doc Rivers doesn't get here in the playoffs, he should be fired. Okay. All right. Here we are. Sixers, still a little ways to go on the brink of being eliminated in round two again. Doc Rivers right now has somewhat of a built in excuse not having probably the MVP of the league in the middle of his team. If they bow out, in this round, does Doc Rivers return next season, or is this the end of the line for Doc Rivers with the 76ers? That's sort of the million dollar question, right? Yeah, I, like yeah. I, I wish I wish I had a, a good answer for that. I, I yeah. do think the Joel, the Joel injury complicated that a ton. I think this yeah. was a clear cut coming into the playoffs, like Doc's proving ground because right. Joel is entrenched as the franchise guy. James is Daryl Morey's guy that has been his guy for a long time. And you make this trade, the trade for James, it's like, okay, Daryl went and got a star for Ben Simmons. So if somebody was going to be the fall guy, if things yeah. went south, Doc was the obvious answer. Now, I'll say this, that there are a lot of people within the organization who have talked up Doc for various reasons. I think he, they believe 
He had a big part in them staying together this year during the Ben drama. They point to Tyrese Maxey's development, and they even point to, look, Joel's had the best two years of his career under this guy, whether that's all because of Doc or it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, his own natural development and so on and so forth. That's certainly worth debating. But I I think there are plenty of positives with Doc, and I think, you know, I would – say I'm pretty neutral on Doc overall. I think he's got his strengths and weaknesses like a lot of other coaches. I think this probably comes down to, you know, if they feel like there's a guy out there that comes in and is a firm upgrade on Doc, I don't think they would be afraid to make it. But I also don't know if off the top of my head, there's a guy that makes sense in that way that is lined up. Like there's the obvious uh, Mike D'Antoni connection because of the long, long time relationship in Houston with both uh, Daryl and James, but uh, the team has shot that down several times, whether that's because of the politics behind it or because they actually don't believe that that's a a future possibility. Uh, That's an unknown at this point, but that's a long way of saying, I don't know. And I'm actually, it's what I'm probably most interested to find out as soon as this season ends, whenever it ends. And, of course, you hear Jay Wright's name bantered about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> retires from college basketball. Maybe he's the future savior of the 76ers. If I know anything about Jay Wright, if he says he wants to step down, he wants to enjoy life. He's done it at the highest he could possibly do it, wants to enjoy his family. And I know it's what we do in this industry, you know, and from a fan base. You know, we throw stuff out there and see if anything sticks on the wall. Hey, my, my final question to you, getting back to Harden for just a moment, based on what we've seen what do you do with them in the future? Are you bringing them back? Certainly not on a max contract. Well, see, that's sort of the problem, right? I, I think I certainly would not give him that. If you give him a max, he will become, he will have the largest contract yes. in the history of the National Basketball Association, which he is clearly not delivering results on that level right now. And I don't think there's reason to believe that even if he reclaims some of that burst that he lost, you know, he's still not going to be 2018 MVP level James Harden. He Number one, he can't be because he's playing with Joel Embiid, who's going to be, quote unquote, the guy. Um, and so I guess the, the real question is, is James Harden willing to take less? I don't know yeah, if there's yeah. anybody out there that is going to line up and pay him that kind of money this summer. The Sixers can offer the extra year and the extra money attached to that. Um, there has been some smoke out there that he might be willing to take a bit of a discount, but I think that is dependent on bringing in potentially another star level guy and they have a big three and, you know, all the trappings of that. So, you know, I, I think when they made the trade, that was sort of a signed seal delivered. James is signing a a big money extension with them. Mm -hmm. I think the question at this point, there are two of them. One, how big is the extension? And two, who else might they get? And what are the other pieces that kind of revolve around? James, I, I look, I, I do think I, it's a shame that Joel got hurt because this was the first series where they're playing a real team where you yep. see, okay, how does James fare as the number two to Joel's number one? And can these guys be a combination that potentially wins a title together? Now, I don't think we can even confidently say one way mm-hmm. or the other. And that's going to be a question that we'll have to, de- to defer until next season, probably. Hey, Kyle, I love your work. I love your insight. I love your information. Hey, man, keep doing what you do. I can't thank you enough for hopping on Gun on One for a few moments today with me. 
Well, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to talk to you, D-Gun. All right, brother. Thank you. That is Kyle Newbeck. He is the senior staff writer for the Philly Voice. Follow him on his uh, social media platforms, especially Twitter, at Kyle, N-E-U-B-E-C-K. All right, that's going to wrap up this latest edition of Gun on One. It is powered by Patterson Square Garden. As I tell you each and every week, hey, everybody out there, uh, stay blessed, especially in the times that we live in now. And more importantly, be a blessing to each and every person you encounter. Until next time, I'm Derek Gunn. So long, everybody. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.